Good morning, friends, and thank you for joining us with Coding with Christine Hall. Today, I have my very good friend, Caitlin Brock, on the show, and we're going to discuss pediatrics. So thanks for being on the show with me today, Caitlin. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I've been, I've been so excited about this conversation today. I am glad. Um, a couple of announcements. Today is World Hepatitis Day. It is a, a World Health Organization holiday. You know, I love my holidays there. And, um, you know, lots of great information about hepatitis. We're, we're making new strides every day on finding a cure and for taking care of different various types of hepatitis. So you guys keep doing what you're doing. We're proud of you. Today is also National Chocolate Milk Day. So, you know, I love my foods and I always talk about what kind of a day it is today. But I wanted to tell you, Caitlin, that I know you have a soccer buff in your family there. And I do. today is National Soccer Day. Oh, so, I'll have to tell him. Yes. So Caitlin's son, Kaysen, is a, an avid soccer player, goalie extraordinaire, and uh, he's going to really enjoy this. He's a keeper. <laughs> he absolutely is. <laughs> so pediatrics, huh? How did you yeah. find yourself in pediatrics? So I actually started in family practice and we had somebody out for a little while. And so I was a natural fit into the pediatrics realm because it was, it was very similar. I think if you look across primary care as a whole. So it, whether you have internal med, you know, MD, DO, um, even, even the urgent care clinics, you're going to notice, you're going to notice kind of similar things going on and those are easier shifts. So I went from family practice to pediatrics because it was kind of that natural progression. I see that. I definitely see that. And, and for pediatrics though, you know, I always thought that it was the same. I always gave the advice like, oh, internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, you know, ger geriatric medicine. Um, no, it's not. There's so many different things that we consider in pediatrics. Um, pediatrics has different metrics that need to be monitored. And pediatrics deal with all of our vaccines, um, early childhood development. There's so much more than just pediatrics, right? Well, I think what you run into a lot, especially during the preventive medicine, you know, preventive medicine series, um, but, you know, and I'm always intrigued and you'll, you've heard me talk about this if I talk about ENM, but whenever you talk about like PFSH, I'm always intrigued at the social history because it changes so much even throughout pediatrics because you have a newborn baby. Okay. Who, you know, who do you, you know, who do you live with? Who's the caretaker? Then you go to school age oh, you know, what grade are you in? What favorite class? And those shifts happen very quickly. And even, okay, from one to two, how many words are they speaking? How much, are, how much comprehension? You know, there's, there's a lot that go, that goes into that. Right. And You're especially on that developmental and whether they're meeting their, their marks for those age and then cognitively. Yes. And I don't, I don't know how many pediatric charges you've audited, but you'll notice a whole lot, especially with the newborn babies, you'll see a, you'll see a depression screening for a caretaker mm -hmm. on those newborn charges because their providers are really taking 
uh, feel the, the postpartum depression a lot more seriously than what they used to. And that charge gets built under under the baby because it's their caretaker. Mm-hmm. And so we're you know, we're watching we're seeing a whole we're seeing a whole lot of this. And I think it's I'm, I'm glad for the shift. I'm, I'm glad to see that we're that we are recognizing and we are taking advantage of of that screening because we can. I was super excited when we when they released the 2021 guidelines and it allowed the parents to be an independent historian. So true story. I was working. um, I I was an expert witness on a case where there was a pediatric neurologist and in his evaluation and management, he always gave credit for the parent being the independent historian. And back then, the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, stated that they didn't get extra credit because that's the only way that they would be that the provider would be able to receive that information. But, you know, um, that might be true for a little guy, two or three year old. How many times have you asked your two year old, like, how are you feeling today? Right. What are your signs and symptoms? How long have those been going on? Anything make it better besides mommy's kisses on your boo boos? Um, the smiley well, chart. <laughs> right, right. Smiley phase. Okay. Um, but we also see that as a child gets older, you know, they do have some interaction with that provider and they are able to, but they still require that independent historian. And I love the fact that now we can give credit um, in that evaluation and management that this is secondhand information that the provider has to process for those patients. So, um, Good job, AMA. I think I think it's interesting too that they made the clarification that whoever the information is from the independent historian, they don't have to physically be there, but they have to, but they have to get the information firsthand from that person. So it can be phone call, you know, but it has to be, you know, it has to be that person. Yeah. So right. I it think that to was interesting. Interactive too. communication. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that I- was interesting. I, I love all those changes. I know, I know that uh, we're talking specifically about PEDS, but PEDS has a lot of evaluation and management. I mean, let's face it. Yes. That's, uh, that is the, the, one of the primary um, procedure codes that we see in pediatrics. Actually, as you were talking about those metrics, I pulled up on my phone, my new little baby. Um, I don't know if everybody knows, but you should know I am a grandma and my little grandson went to the doctor for his one month checkup. And um, six pounds, 13 ounces, 19.5. So yeah, two days ago was his actual due date. And uh, so he's progressing exactly as we expected him to. So, so thrilled making all of those developmental marks. I mean, I mean, I know I'm biased, but I might even say that I'm sure the provider was thinking genius material when she examined him. I don't know. It wasn't documented, but you know, sometimes providers, they, they don't always think in ink. So, right. So I have to ask, what was his head circumference? I wasn't there. I don't know, but I'm sure that it was in the twenties, somewhere in the twenties. If I remember right, I believe that my kids, uh, when they were born, were in their, in the twenties in the, the early twenties somewhere. So I don't know if you read that article from Craig about 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 brains, but he was talking about the developmental stages of brains and the actual medical reason behind why they why they get the head circumference. I'll have to I'll have to pull that back up. But it was 
It was oh, a great I, We would read. love to share that with the listeners. As you're talking yeah. about Craig Larson. Yes. He is brilliant. But absolutely yeah, share that with us and we'll share it with the listeners so they can take a look at that as well. All right. So I have to ask, what are your strengths in pediatric coding? Like what are your favorite things to see in the pediatric record um, as you're coding or billing for pediatrics? So, you know, like you said before, we get, we get a whole lot of E&M um, just because it's a lot of the times we we have to be able to evaluate. And I don't see a whole lot where we do an evaluation and then bring the patient back in for a procedure. Just, you know, because I, we don't we typically like, OK, we know this needs to we need this. we This needs to be done. We're going to do it. Um, I do see a lot of uh, impacted cerumen removals. Um, a lot of foreign body removals. <laughs> so I got to tell you, and my sister is going to kill me. But when she was little, um, she put a Tic Tac up her nose. And all that I remember, and, and I was traumatized, was like this orange just coming down her face. Like, so foreign body removal. I get that. I totally get that, you know. Um, so how about vaccinations? Do you see a lot of vaccinations with peds? I do. Um, and something, something really tricky with vaccinations is, especially when you're talking about Medicaid patients and it's from that VFC program, mm -hmm. will depend on the, the diagnosis order. So like in, uh, for example, I worked in clinics in Kentucky and Indiana. So in Kentucky, if we use that VFC stock, we just use that Z23. But if you go into Indiana, part of their part, part of their policy for that VFC stock is that we have to use a preventative, one of those zoo diagnoses. Mm. Uh oh, it looks like we may have lost Caitlin there for a minute. But while we're waiting for her to come back, um, Lexi, can you run the the ticker for the children's vaccines? So the American Academy of Pediatrics has an amazing children's vaccine recommendation there that you can look at. And like what Caitlin was saying, demographically, where we see those, the, uh, the use of those types of vaccinations there. So I thought that was an amazing resource for pediatric vaccinations. Um, another thing that Caitlin was, was getting to was some of those recommended procedures that or recommended milestone markers that maybe the U.S. Preventive Task Force recommends for children. Um, so this is a great interactive tool that you can go in and select whether it's children, adolescent, adults, uh, geriatrics, and it's going to give you all of the recommended preventive services because we know that those are all different as we get older, not to mention they're different between men and women. Um, looks like we've got Caitlin bra uh, back. It's uh, and the, sometimes we have that technical difficulty. Aren't you under a flood warning right now? Where um, are you living? Yes, yes, we are. Uh, we're under a flood warning. There's actually parts here that are. Um, there's homes that are partially underwater, like the schools are flooded here. So we're supposed to go back to school on the tenth, and I don't think they're going to be able to. So that's what I'm. Uh, I'm doing my best. I apologize, guys, but no, uh, it's okay. It's just, it's, you know, I know we're getting off track a little bit, but it's important to remember that, um, you know, we we all live in different parts of the country, and those different parts of the country they experience 
climatic changes. You know, here in Florida, we experience hurricanes throughout the summer and you are having flooding. There's tornadoes in the Midwest. You know, we have fires out out uh, on the West Coast there. So we're all sometimes dealing with our own climatic changes there. And um, so you best be careful there, Caitlin. I want you to make sure that you guys are staying safe where you are. And and thanks again for taking the time to be with us. Well, um, actually, the the fire departments here, no, they, they can't even get the fire trucks or any kind of saving, like to save anyone. So they have said, unless you have, unless you're leaving to get to safer grounds to, for you to not even leave because they don't know if they can get help to you. So wow. it's. Wow. That's so sad. That's absolutely so sad. We, we've, we've experienced that sometimes when we've had hurricanes here. Um, where we, the, the aftermath. All right. So on a, on a back. Um, I guess staying in line with things that we don't like, what are some of the challenges of pediatrics that you have seen that, um, you know, maybe you can share with our listeners that might be helpful. So this is one I would love to get Jennifer McNamara's thought process on, but one of the one of the biggest controversies within PEDS is when to use modifier twenty two. So you know, take for example, we have a we have a patient who has a laceration. We need to we need to close it. So if I have to put in, if my provider has to use five stitches to close that to close that laceration, but I also have to use. Five, you know, five of my nursing staff to hold the child down. It takes me an hour and a half to put in five stitches, whereas it should take five to 10 minutes. Um, there's that controversy on, well, it is pediatrics. They, it is going to be harder for you to do these procedures. It is going to take longer sometimes. But at the same time, you that's not factored into... You know, that's not factored into PEDS. You know, they're taking the procedure at its face value. Should it have taken this long? If it shouldn't, and again, I feel like an hour is excessive, I would I would agree with putting that 22 on. But then you have you have some that, that may argue, well, it it is pediatrics. It, it's it's typical to spend an hour putting in five stitches because it's it's you know they're kicking and screaming and right but the, you know, the, the payers are still only going to pay you for that normal 10 15 minutes of putting those sutures in they're right. not going to compensate for that extra time and we're not talking about evaluation and management we're talking about a procedure itself and so how do you explain when it's a prolonged procedure because of circumstances so it, to right. me, it sounds like a modifier situation, but again, modifier 22 is a hit and miss. Sometimes the payers will, sometimes they, um, you know, they, like you said, they'll say that it is usual and customary for the specialty that you're working in. So that's, that's a really tough modifier. I think, um, mm -hmm. I think I would love to hear more information about it. I know that we have a a modifier workshop coming up soon with AAPC, the Billing Advisory yeah. Committee does. And um, I, I hope that we definitely go over modifier 22 and, and its challenges. But you're absolutely right. That's probably one of the biggest challenges in pediatrics. That's why I always told my providers, okay, if you're having to, if you're having to use additional staff, document how much time it takes. If you're having to use any kind of extra anesthetic or maybe even do like a, do, you know, 
do some kind of sedation <laughs> to where you can just do it. I mean, especially like, okay, my, my daughter is 16 months old. I can't imagine trying to try to, they, they would have to put her out because there's, there's no way. Okay. Listen, I'm going to share a story with you too. And I know my son's going to absolutely kill me. However, um, and, and Dr. Rosenstock, I think you're going to like this one. Um, so my son had an ingrown toenail and he was about 13, 14 years old, took him to the podiatrist to get the ingrown toenail taken out. He, he totally panicked. He'd never had any surgical procedures done before. And here the provider comes with this needle, which was a tiny little needle. Okay. Don't let him tell you that it was really big because it wasn't. Okay. But he couldn't do it. So we, we brought him back home. We had the pep talk with him. Um, you know, here's what's going to happen. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. He went to the podiatrist the second time. Couldn't get the ingrown toenail out. You know, by now the, that toenail was getting kind of funky. I'm not going to lie. Right. We needed to go on antibiotics. Um, so we go back and nope, nope. Sure enough. Again, it's not possible now. You know, these are bigger kids. It's not like he can call the whole staff in there to hold him down. He's 13, right. 14 years old. So long story short, we ended up admitting him to the hospital to be under general anesthesia for a 10 minute procedure to remove the ingrown toenail from him. Absolutely. Pediatrics is a whole different world folks, you know, and, um, I was very happy that our insurance understood the circumstances and allowed for him to have that procedure inpatient under general anesthesia. <laughs> so I'm going to ask him, I, I want, I want his feedback. So I'm after this, I'm going to ask him, I'm like, I need you to talk me through this. How big was the needle? Yeah. I need well, to know. You know, I have questions. Perception is, is is each one of our realities. So, right, most definitely. <laughs> so, I will tell you one yeah. of my most one of my most interesting cases, though. Uh, we had we had a patient that um, they were they had some they had some sock things going on, but for but for inpatient to be to be inpatient at a sock facility, the patient has to go through a you know they have to do like a full head to toe medical evaluation to make sure that there's nothing medical going on just because when they're inpatient psych they're focused on the psych it's they're right, not right. going to they don't have medical staff there to handle anything you know, any facilities are like that right mm -hmm. right and so we had to i had a provider that had to do this three months in a row because they didn't have any openings at the inpatient facility and he called me. He said, Caitlin, I don't know. I don't know how to code this. And I couldn't find anything. There's nothing that's, you know, there's nothing that actually talked about how to code those, those, re, those recurrent, um, those recurrent preventives, you know, because it uh -huh. was, it was prevented from a, from a standpoint of this is, this was a payer requirement, right? And we weren't actually treating the condition. We were making sure that there was nothing else going on. But at the same time, you know, patient had severe depression. So how, you know. Sounds like a modifier that? situation. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I mean we, had, we had to do the, future. yeah, I mean, we had to do, we had to do the mandated, you know, the mandated modifier, but it was one of those, okay, do we, 
because you know each payer only covers that preventative once per year right so we're you know if we cover that as the preventive we're going to keep getting denials on this yeah but it was like i said it was just one of those things where i actually talked to i talked to a colleague about it this was this was this is years past and uh she was like well in that situation you do code the enm because it was for a medical purpose so I thought that was interesting. I'd be interested to know if anybody else had ran into anything like that. But that was Good probably one. one of my most interesting cases. So I have another question for you. Yes. Um, you know, I teach the virtual instructor-led program at AEPC. And yes. and um, I am a little biased because it, it's it been a game changer. I, I have taught for decades in this industry. And um, I haven't seen the level of success that AAPC has been able to achieve in uh, with the VILT program. So right. shout out to the VILTs. Um, but what about those people that are looking to get into a specialty? My students are always questioning, where do I go from here? What specialty would be best for me? How do I know that I'm going to like pediatrics? So what advice would you have for a new coder who's looking for um, advice about pediatrics or getting into pediatrics? Well, I think it's important to know that most of the time you don't get to choose your specialty. Your your specialty chooses you because that, that's what happened to me. You know, I was I passed my CPC exam. I got hired on by a large health system that has specialists, specialists in every realm. And so it was like we have an opening in family practice. That's where we're sticking you. Oh, we need help in pediatrics. That's where we're sticking you oh, I know you've never coded general surgery, but we're going to put you there too. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of the times you don't get to choose it. But in regards to resources, I love the study guides. And I'll tell you, whenever I'm, whenever I'm studying for an exam, the first place I go to in those study guides is the ICD-10 section. Because it tells you, it's like, hey, you really need to pay attention and understand this diagnosis. And when I was actually studying for my CPED, I went to that. That was the first section I went to. And I had my ICD-10 book out. And I wrote down the page numbers beside each diagnosis section that that where the guideline was. I wrote the guideline, which if you use the if you use AAPC's ICD-10 books, there's an I icon beside the diagnosis codes that have a direct guideline associated with them. So I was, you know for safe time, I guess, I would write down the page number of the guideline. So I wasn't looking for it. Um, That's a perfect idea that the, it's, I mean, especially I would recommend exams. that to my students from now on, especially with exams. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I didn't know how much time I was, I was going to have, so I didn't want to risk it. So I, I, that was the first thing I went to. Um, the AAP, you know, the AAP is a great resource. They are always giving out information. I, you know, AMA, of course. Um, something Absolutely. that you guys may not know about is AAPC has newsletters that's that's geared toward each specialty, and it's a it's a subscription base, but it's like three articles a month. You can get a CEU for completing the quiz at the end. But they, but they actually write up on topics in real time specific to those specialties, and they have one for pediatrics. And so I read, I read that one 
I read that one often just to, you know, just to see what, see what all is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a, those are all great resources. I think um, one of the things that I love about those resources that we have, not only at AAPC, but um, if you're on the list serves for some yes. of those payers that you participate with, they'll send you emails about what's going on. Now, don't forget folks, no one is going to send you an unsolicited email. So you've got to get involved and you've got to request it. But those emails that come in, you know, they do have the most up-to-date information. They are giving explanation and description of code changes or new diagnosis in your field, what's relevant to your field. I'm I'm preparing um, my educations coming up on the new ICD-10 guidelines and then eventually the new CPT guidelines. And my educations are geared globally. I talk about all of those changes, but someone who is in pediatrics, you know, they may not need to know what's going on in cardiology or what's up with the latest colonoscopies, you know? So it's important that you are active in the academies or the associations that are for your particular specialty And not just that you visit them, but that you request for them to send you information as well. So that's a that's going to be a definite good resource for anybody that's deciding to go into any specialty at all. But uh, can you hear me? Am I back? You're back. You're back. Power (laughs) blade. Um, I thought something uh, something interesting something else I would I was wanting to add is that there's a lot of free resources that are that are great you know that we have a lot of great free resources in, in our industry i mean look at all the chapter meeting you know we have full access to any chapter meeting now um but I, I have to say a lot of a lot of the ones that you pay for the education you pay for i feel like people get more out of it because nobody wants to nobody wants to waste it mm-hmm. so I, i'm i always you know invest, invest in your education because no one can take that away from you. That's right. That's That's, right. And so even if you, your employer isn't covering the bill for something, remember that that is your education. That is your moment there to gather that information, to make you the best that you possibly can be. And, and, you know, there's so many notes here that I'm looking through all the comments there. And, and if you listen to any of the other podcasts that we've had guests on, these specialties find you. It, it is usually the way that that happens is that you're out there looking for where you might be interested in. And suddenly that specialty jumps out and grabs you that you didn't even know you had a passion for until you get into it. And as you've said before, it clicks with you. It made sense to you. Pediatrics was a natural progression from your family practice. And, um, so I want to encourage everybody out there to, to take any and every opportunity that you possibly can, right? I see. So I seen a comment on splinters. That one's, <laughs> that one's a tricker, tricky one. Um, because that, you know, sometimes you can bill it some, you know, some providers want to be able to bill it as a foreign body removal because you are removing it. But for most foreign body removals, they require an incision. The only foreign body removals that do not require an incision is nose. It's the nose, eye, and then external ear canal. 
which is what we deal with the most in pediatrics. So remember for those, you know, if you're billing a basic, you know, you know, for, you know, incision and foreign body removal, it does need an, it does need an incision and it could be just making the initial opening bigger or it can be creating a whole new opening, but it has, there has to be some kind of, you know, opening or expansion of that initial opening. So that is something important to now, if the documentation doesn't support that there was an, an incision made opening the the where the location where the form body is or an, an additional incision there, would that just defer to an evaluation and management visit? They're just yes. taking tweezers and pulling it out. Yes, that it, that gets bundled into into the EM. I usually do ask my providers, just say, you know, hey, I noticed a form body removal was completed. You know, was there was there an incision for this? And that's that's all. I, I'm not trying to lead or anything, but I'm I'm asking for clarification because if there was an incision and they just forgot to document, that's a whole other. You know that yeah. they're losing reimbursement there. That's an awesome tip. Thank you so much. So um, I want to thank everybody for participating today and joining us on Coding with Christine Hall. I think that um, Lexi has a few announcements that she wants to go over before. Caitlin, you are amazing. I, I cannot thank you enough um, for our listeners. I, I recently got to spend the weekend with Caitlin in, in uh, New Albany, Indiana, speaking for that ch AAPC chapter. And so we had fun. an absolute ball together. Um, you know, networking began as an introduction, which turned into a virtual lunch, which turned into collaboration, which turned into a friendship. And now I, I don't know what a day in my life would look like without you in it. So thanks for being on the show today. Thank I you truly, so truly appreciate me. it. Um, Lexi, can you tell us what our listeners can look forward to? Hi, everybody. Um, we're having some exciting things happening this weekend. Uh, Friday, we're having Navigating the Guidelines, the Basics, from 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, Saturday, we're doing 2023 Evaluation and Management Guidelines at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, next week, if you're in health, at HealthCon, check Caitlin and Christine out. Um, that'll be really fun. I uh, hope you everyone has a nice day. Thanks so much, Lexi. I appreciate it. Um, and again, you can find links to all of these uh, these webinars. You can go straight to our website, Sterling Global Solutions. Scroll down to the bottom. All of those events are listed there, except for HealthCon. But if you're at HealthCon, make sure that you do connect with Caitlin and myself and you stop by and you say hi and you can introduce yourself to us. So looking forward to seeing you there. Looking forward to seeing you Friday or Saturday. And if not, I'll see you um, next week after next on Friday. And we'll have a very special guest talking to us about another specialty and specialty coding. So have a wonderful rest of your week, guys. And yes. I'll see you soon. Thanks for watching.